This morning, uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, continuing this series through the book of Galatians. Um, And I came to this, and um, let me just tell you, there's a lot in chapter 3. And I I could probably have done about three sermons in chapter 3, but we're going to avoid that. Um, Anyway, in chapter 3, I'm calling this sermon One Big Family. And just to clarify in that is I'm talking about the family of God, Old Testament, New Testament, everybody that has put their faith in a coming Messiah or the Messiah, Jesus Christ, one and the same, enters into the family of God. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And if you will, stand with me as we read verse 28 and 29. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
Dear Lord, just thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come out to study your word this morning. Dear Lord, help us to take your word and, and to break it apart and, and to see what you're clearly telling us, dear Lord. Dear Lord, that salvation is by faith and by faith alone. Thank you so much for your love and your kindness in sending your son to die on a cross for us. In your name I pray. Amen. If you will, uh, skip back to Galatians 3, and we're going to start in verse 1 and work our way through the chapter. Uh, in verse 1, you know, this whole idea, um, going back to chapters 1 and 2 that we've been covering, we've been talking a lot about circumcision and how the Jews, uh, there were some misinterpreting that. And, and Paul's kind of focused the first part of chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Galatians on him dealing with the Jews about that issue. In chapter 3, we see him switching gears. We see him going uh, to the Galatians and talking to them personally about this issue. One of the things that he, he brings up and we'll talk a lot about is the law. And it seems as if the Galatians here thought that, you know, we were saved. Now we need to add the law to that. Uh, to, to make it official, I guess you could say. And, and Paul is so distraught about that and he wants to cover that because that's not the way he preached it. That's not the way he preached the gospel to them to start with. And in verse 1 we see this, it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, when I came, when I preached to you, when I told you how this works, I preached Jesus Christ crucified. And, and evidently there was, uh, some people that had come in and, and started teaching a different doctrine, had, had come in and started teaching that they needed to follow the law to, to get the grace of God. And Paul says, this is not how it works. He says, I know that I put Jesus Christ crucified before you when I was there. So the first question we see uh, in, in this uh, question, series of questions that Jesus, or that Jesus, that Paul sets forth to the Galatians, we see who's doing this false teaching? Who's came in and led you astray? But then in, in verse 2 it says, This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. You know, first of all, we need to identify what, what it's speaking about when it says, Received ye the Spirit. I like Ephesians 1 and chapter 13 when it comes to this subject. It says, In whom ye also trusted... After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. One commentator talks about this verse and he says it simply that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and sets up residence. I like that. And that's what Paul's referring to about receiving the Holy Spirit here. He said, how would you receive it? How would you get saved? We know that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. 
that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so Paul is confronting them and saying, how did you get saved? Was it by faith or was it by works of the law? And was it by the works of man? And then the next verse, it kind of continues that thought. If you were saved by faith, in verse 3, it says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? What Paul's saying here is if, if you started in the Spirit, if you were saved by faith, do you think you can perfect yourself by the works that you do? It's almost like you got an invitation to the party, but now you've got to find the ride to get there. Okay? That's what Paul's telling them. He, he, he's saying it's almost like you receive the invitation to heaven through accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, but now it's up to you to get there. And Paul said, that's not right. That's not the way it works. You know, I think about this and I think about what would you do if your child walked into a museum in Paris with a box of crayons to fix the Mona Lisa? Right? That just doesn't work. Right? That's what Paul's saying here. If it's by faith you were saved, the only way you're getting to heaven, the only way that's going to work is by faith. That's the way it's completed. It doesn't need any fixing. It doesn't need any of your works to continue that action. It's done. And can you perfect the work of God by the works of man? Absolutely not. Then in verse 4, it says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Paul's saying, Have you went down this journey? Have you done the things that you've done over these years in vain, thinking that you had to work your way to heaven? And and what what I love about this is is you can find this elsewhere, and it talks about vain being empty, nothingness. And here, suffering... Plus, justification by works always equals depression. What do you mean by that, Trey? Here's what I mean. If we go through life and we face all the turmoils that this life has to offer, and we believe that it's up to us to get to heaven, we fail every time. And that just leads to a state of depression knowing that I can never get to heaven. I can never do it because I'm not good enough. But listen to this, suffering plus justification, justification by faith leads us to worship. I want you to see this in the scripture. So let's turn over to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and starting in verse 18, it says, This is is again Paul speaking. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will in present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that is exactly what I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It's 
It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present within me. Evil is present within me. Paul is saying, I want to do good, but I can't. And the things that I don't want to do is actually what I do. It's because I'm evil. Because I'm flesh. And I can't do good. But then, if you skip over in the same context, in Romans 8 and verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's worship. Even though I know that I can't get to heaven by the things that I do, no no more so than a kid coloring the Mona Lisa and having it perfected, Can I get to heaven by my works? But I know that there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ. That's where worship happens. When we, when we know this and we go on and then verse five, look at this last question that Paul lays before us. He says, He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So basically Paul lays before them, and and if you remember and go back and look at this in Acts on Paul's first missionary journey is when the Galatia happened. That's that's when the church at Galatia formed. And and he, he goes back to that moment and he says, listen, when the Holy Spirit was working among you there, was he working by faith or by works of the law? And, and really interesting way to look at this is how do we do ministry can you imagine me going to a widow who just lost her husband and saying listen you need to attend sunday school more or or or, hey listen i've heard that you were down at the beauty salon gossiping the other day you need to avoid that how does that help her situation it doesn't does it we minister by going to that widow or going to anyone that doesn't have hope and telling them the gospel message that Jesus died and there is hope that one day that widow and her husband will be united in heaven. That's how ministry is done, right? And that's the question Paul lays before them. Even the Holy Spirit, it ministers in this way, teaching the gospel. And if you know this, in John 15... When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 15 and verse 26, he says, Jesus says this, But when the Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. What does the Holy Spirit do? He speaks of Jesus. He doesn't speak of the law. He speaks of Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit should lead us into moral lives. But when the Holy Spirit ministers, He ministers by preaching Jesus. Then we begin to see this whole idea of this family and this seed unfolding, starting in verse 6. It says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Know ye therefore that they which are in are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Abraham's faith was counted unto him for righteousness through his faith. The Gentiles would receive a blessing. What Paul is trying to to get at during the first five verses is that we are saved through faith and that's the only way. And now we find in that faith, this family of God, this blessing that we received through the family of Abraham. And, and as, as we keep going on and in looking at our text in verse 10, we begin to see this promise explained. It says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is... Everyone that continue, continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You know, James talks about this as well. He talks about if, if we can't obey the whole law, if we neglect to obey it, even in one point, we are sinners. And, and that's, that's what this verse 10 is saying. We are cursed. We are sinners. Because of our sin, we have an eternal doom, and that is in hell. But because of Jesus' grace and coming to die for us on the cross, we now have hope. So how does this promise relate back to Abraham? If you will, go back to verse 8. It says, And the Scripture foreseeing that God's God would justify the heathen through faith, preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. There at the very bottom, through thee, all nations should be blessed. If we went over to Genesis and we began to look at Genesis 12 and verses 1 through 3, we begin to see that God is telling Abraham about this blessing. And in verse 2, it talks about how God's going to make a great nation out of Abraham. But this same promise that we see in Galatians 3 is in Galatians 12 and verse 3. It says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. If you If you know your Bible and you know the family of Abraham, what they became, they became the nation of Israel. And out of Israel came a man named Jesus Christ, who we call Savior Messiah. And I don't know about you this morning, but because of Jesus Christ and the death that He paid on the cross, I have an eternal blessing. And that's the blessing that Paul is referring to here is we have this eternal blessing through Jesus and through that promise. And even though we are cursed and the law shows us that we can't be perfect, Jesus died on the cross for that. If you look at verse 11 through 14 here, he goes on to explaining 
But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on to on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We get the blessing of Abraham through faith. Christ paid for our sins. Jesus became a curse for us, redeeming us from our own curse. Whoever hangs on a tree is accursed is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 21 and 23. What we need to realize this morning is that God knew in His infinite knowledge what was going to happen and even in the Old Testament, even as far back as the first book of the Bible, God had a plan on how to redeem us and how to make us and bring us close into His family. That's what we see here. 2 Corinthians 5.21 If you will, turn over with me and let's look at that. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. It says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. There is absolutely nothing I can do to have a good relationship with God. It's only through Jesus Christ that I can have that. It's only through the blood that He shed on the cross paying for my sin that I can have that relationship. And I, and I can only have that through faith in Him. If you will, let's continue in verse 15. It says, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Remember that last phrase, addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Here's the thing. First of all, one seed. If you go back and you read, I believe it is uh, verse 16. It's not seeds, it's one seed. You see that? That's what the verse kind of talks about. And, And what... Paul is clarifying here is, first of all, there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. And if we are in Him, we become part of Abraham's seed. Singular. Even the Gentiles. Even though, see, Abraham's seed was not about genetics. It was about faith. 
That's how we get into this family, this family of God. There's only one way into the family. But then he goes on to talk about the law and how it was given 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham. Okay? In Genesis 12, when that promise was given to Abraham, the law wasn't around. And and what Paul is saying is he's saying, how can somebody bring the law into what God already promised? It's just like this. Let's just say Granny, because unfortunately uh, Grannies die. Uh, but Granny has a will and testament. Okay, I, sorry, everybody's going to die. I'm sorry. Uh, you came here to find hope. Hey, there is hope in Jesus. Uh, but <laughs> Granny, Granny dies. She has a will and testament, right? And and the lawyer pulls you and your family into her office. He begins to read the will and testament, and, and he says, "Listen, Granny left you her her um, her house, her car, and all her assets." Then the lawyer shuts up the document, puts it to the side, and he says, "Well, I think you ought to graduate from Harvard. You ought to get married after you've had two kids." Then you can get all this. <laughs> you throw the book at the lawyer, right? I don't care what you think. Granny left me her assets. Well, that's what, exactly what the Jews were doing here. God had made Abraham a promise, and that promise was set in stone. And the Jews were trying to add the law to it, saying, if you can fulfill this, then you get the promise. And what Paul says is, no, the promise is the promise. Nothing can change that. That's exactly what Paul is getting at here. The law cannot change what has already been promised. The children of Abraham has nothing to do with genetics. The children of Abraham has everything to do with faith. So the last point in looking at this is what does the law have to do with it? You know, is is the law just out there? Is Did God just give it to man and it have no point in even being here? No. The law points us to the promise. If you read this in verse 19, it says, Wherefore then serveth the law? Paul asked the question. He says, what's the law for? What's it doing? Right? Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of the transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which should have given life, verily righteousness should come, should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. 
This idea of a schoolmaster really is an interesting subject. If you go back and you look at the original language of it, uh, it's synonymous with a guardian. And, and what would happen here is in Greek culture, they would have a slave. They would have a slave that they trusted. And this slave would not only just guard the house, but he would take the kids to school every day. He would, he would take the kids to school and they actually had a room in their schools that were for the schoolmasters and the schoolmasters would just come there and hang out all day watching over the kids as they got their education. The guardian then would take the child from school back to home, make sure the homework was completed, the chores were done. That's what Paul compares the law to, is that specific guardian, the schoolmaster. And what he's saying here is just as the schoolmaster made sure that each kid got their education and their homework done and all the chores and protected those kids, that's what the law was for. It was here until the seed, Jesus Christ, was come to whom the promise was made is what the scripture says. The law was around so that we would be educated of right and wrong. I mean, without the law, how do we know what is right and what is wrong? It is there to show us that, hey, we do fall short of the glory of of God because we are in the wrong. But it also was here to protect us just like that guarding because could you imagine a world where we run around with lawlessness? The, the law was here to point us towards grace. In verse 25 it says, But after that faith is come, we are no longer under the, a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and the heirs according to promise. What Paul is saying here is that schoolmaster directed us to a coming Messiah. It shows us that we need a Savior. The, what the law caged us in we are now free from. It caged us into knowing the fact that we fall short of the glory of God and now we are free from that resting in the promise of Jesus Christ. Imagine if you had a schoolmaster taking care of you. He took care of you. He guarded you, protected you. He helped making sure uh, you had your education taken care of. But the fact of the matter is that schoolmaster really did not care or love you. When the parent got home is when the real joy came, right? Jesus and the Father is one. It's been, it's been said several times through this passage. So you see, when Jesus came, it was just like the family coming home. It was a joyous occasion. It was something to be celebrated because there had been great longing 
for it. This is Christ. To a, to a Jew or a Gentile, he'd endured the law for so long and the punishment of the law, and he knew that the law would eventually sentence him to death. But then Jesus came on the scene and took care of that death. That's where his hope, hope came from. Maybe you're here this morning as our song minister gets ready to come. You've never found peace with God. You've never been welcomed into the family. I tell you this morning, we would love to welcome you into the family of God. Or maybe you're here this morning and you, you think, well, I'm a great person. I've been saved. I was saved at the age of seven. And, and ever since, I, I've been trying my hardest to do what's right. Back in Romans, Paul says he tried his hardest to do what's right. And all he could find at the end of that road was that evil was in him. Let me tell you this morning, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. We need to rest upon that promise and that hope and live our lives with love for Christ.